welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. In this week's show, I'm joined by Michael McCartan, the Director of Global Treasury at Cure Relief. Cure Relief is a leading international provider of consumer products in the cannabis industry, with a mission to improve lives by providing clarity around cannabis and confidence around consumption. High growth company, known for quality, expertise, reliability. And, you know, we're going to talk actually about the group's roots, literally, and there's no funny business around there. Mike's going to actually take it. Michael's going to take us through that a bit later on in the show. But first of all, we're going to go right to his origin story and where he first ever started, finance degree, and then you discovered a later stage treasury. So, Michael, if you would, take us back through your history, sir. Back to you. Great. Thanks, Mike. Great to be on the podcast. So my treasury career started at David's Bridal. Prior to that, I had achieved my bachelor's degree in finance from Chippensburg University. I spent roughly six years at David's Bridal. David's Bridal was one of the leading wedding dress providers in the country. When I started there, it was owned by May Company. May Company, after a period of time, was purchased by Federated, Federated uh, large department store chain. Decided they didn't want anything to do with the bridal store business, so they spun off David's Bridal to Leonard Green and Partners, a private equity-based company. You're a, you're a guy in a bridal firm and stuff like that. Was that was that just more a retail type firm, you know, for yourself or? Yeah, it was actually a retail type firm. Uh, coming out of college, I didn't really have said job, so I was actually working through a temp agency in the sales audit department. I was doing that for about ten months. After 10 months, I was hired full-time. From there, I moved into FP&A for a short period of time. And as I mentioned, David's Bridal was purchased by Leonard Green and Partners. We had to implement a treasury group at that point. So uh, they hired a gentleman by the name of Phil Galbo, who was the treasurer of CVS. And being that the company was going through some restructuring, I was offered the role in treasury as a treasury analyst. So at the age of 24, I was managing the treasury department, setting cash positions, managing investments. Um, at the time, David's Bridal was a very cash-heavy business. So at peak times, I was managing commercial paper investments and money market investments up to $125 million. After June, July, the company would tend to go through a cash burn as all the weddings have happened. Yeah. Um, and we were in inventory for the following year. So I did that for about six years, partnering with tax, store operations, loss prevention. Super interesting role because you got to partner with so many different departments, especially loss prevention. You know, working with them was unique to say the least. We would catch... Uh, individuals trying to forge their bonus and looking at individuals with trying to make their payroll hours and, you know, shaving time off time cards, even having inventory going missing, uh, working with loss prevention on that. So that was kind of a wake up call as to me early in my career as to what treasury can and can't get involved in. And really because you're touching cash and every, you can get your fingers in anything and everything. And obviously a good basis role to then give you that start in treasury, per se. Uh, Absolutely. And then, you know, I know that you then followed that, you then studied CTP and stuff, but then walk us through how you progressed from there. And I think, you know, we were just talking before, and Mike was like, how much detail do I get? I said, well, actually, you've got some really interesting roles because some of you guys listening today, you'll be in similar position. You'll be a treasurer analyst wherever you are. And now Michael is the global treasurer with his group. So this is a great way to not sit there and think, oh, this is, is this what I'm going to be doing? Actually, yeah. This is what you're doing now, but it's about what you do with it. Exactly as you've talked about, you broaden the role. You didn't just sit there, turn the handle, do the job, and then walk away. But then you sort of made some progression. 
talk us through the next couple of moves. What, what happened then? Sure. So then after my time at David's Bridal, I made a move to an FP&A role that was with Catapult Learning. Uh, Catapult Learning is a remedial services education company based out of uh, New Jersey. So what they do is they help bring students up in grade level um, that have been left behind. So reading, math, I'm, I'm sure there's some other subjects there I'm forgetting. Uh, it's been a little while since I've been there. I was there for two years working on budgeting and forecasting, working with field operators, setting their their payrolls, budgets, looking at at how they can improve things, operational efficiencies. And I was there for roughly two years. And what happened there was, again, the company was purchased by private equity. And not to say that my role was going to be eliminated, but I wasn't feeling the warm and fuzziest there. So I decided to make a move and I made a short-term move from there to Morgan Lewis and Bacchius. From there, I was there for a few months. And then I had a really exciting opportunity come across my desk. I had a recruiter reach out to me about a treasury analyst role at Preferred Sands. The company was exploding in growth. Um, this is in early 2012, where the energy market was kind of going gangbusters. It was an opportunity where, you know, the company had quadrupled in size in, in the span of a year. They had grandiose ambitions to buy the Philadelphia oil refining, refining plant because preferred sand is they mine sand for fracking. So the, the goal was to a straight through process where, you know, you're providing the sand, the companies you're providing sand to uh, go through fracking, extract the oil and natural gas. And they sent the refinery and then preferred would own that refinery and then refine all that fuel for resale. Unfortunately, my time there was uh, relatively short because the energy market decided to not continue to, to go gangbusters there. The energy market in late 2012 or mid 20 to late 2012 went belly up. Then I unfortunately was let go. To, to all you working professionals out there, yes, it happens to, to the best of us. Not to say that I'm the best of us, but yes, it does happen to everybody. You know, there's not anything you can control about that. So, you know, just focus on what you can control. From there, I was unemployed for roughly two months. I ended up with a role at Teva Pharmaceuticals, which is one of the longest tenured roles in my career. I work with some great individuals there. Tom Dimitropoulos, Frank Kimmick, who is the treasurer of Warner Music, Frank McGrail, and Joan McNanny, uh, actually the largest treasury group that I've worked with. There we were responsible for U.S. and Canadian treasury operations and Teva being the largest generic drug manufacturer. We would service $18 billion a year in cash flow annually. While I was there, when I started, they were running a three-week cash flow forecast. We pushed that out to five and then we implemented a 13-week cash flow forecast for end of quarter cash reporting. As many of you treasury professionals know, the CFO always wants to know where your cash is at the end of the quarter so they can give good numbers to senior management board, Wall Street, if need be. So we really honed in on that, working with AR, tax, operations, collections, to make sure that, you know, we had the best numbers we could possibly have. Teva being a global organization, you know, that's kind of tough to do. But with the U.S. being the majority of that, we did the best we could with the tools we had. As many of you listening probably use, um, you know, we were using Excel exclusively. We didn't really have a treasury workstation. Even now in my current role, um, we're using Excel. So for all of you out there that don't have that experience, believe you me, there's more companies still using Excel than there are treasury workstations. I know the Teva group, but can you just explain who Teva Pharmaceuticals are or where the time and stuff? Sure. Teva Pharmaceuticals is uh, an Israeli-based generic drug manufacturing company. When I was there, they had a branded drug called Capaxone, which was from MS. That was their branded drug where the margins were great. You know, it's the equivalent of Keytruda or branded drug Pfizer or Merck or AstraZeneca. That's where Teva was really making their money. And Teva was growing through acquisition. So they were acquiring 
smaller phase two, phase three startups or companies going through that to get those drugs across the finish line and then have that exclusivity for that, I believe it's 15 years, but really by the time the drug hits the market, it's roughly seven years. That's kind of how Teva operated when I was there. Um, when I was there, I think we went through nine acquisitions, some larger, some smaller. Some of those acquisitions didn't really pan out. There were at least three that where the drugs, as far as I know, did not necessarily hit the market at the rate that they thought they were going to. And with yourself, you came into this role, integral role, working with senior guys, Teva headquartered over actually in Israel, as you said, you know, what was it like as it grew and developed? Because your role there grew and you then started a senior analyst, then grew into the treasury manager role. How did you see it evolving? What did you, how did you put yourself in that, that situation? Honestly, I wasn't sure how it was going to evolve. The great thing about uh, the group I work with is that they were all great people. Then they were all willing to help. Me being the youngest there, Frank Kimmick and Frank McGrail, um, John and Tom, all this all took me under their wing and showed me what they were working on. So really, my goal was to try and become the jack of all trades and be able to do everybody's role in the event they went on vacation, trying to make myself as indispensable as possible. Um, being especially that I had just come from a company where I was let go. The first part was getting the forecasting piece down. Obviously, you want to know where your cash is this week, next week, the following week. When you get out to five weeks, it gets a little fuzzy. But the big thing for us was to nail that so we could provide good numbers for our parent company in Israel, remit them cash because the U.S. was the main cash driver for the company. But from there, I worked with Frank McGrail. We worked on an FX project where we bid out our FX. We actually implemented um, a solution called Bloomberg Go, where we went to all of our partner banks, uh, of which I think we had 20. And we said, hey, we need you to tighten the screws on your FX bidding process a little bit. And we're putting you all on Bloomberg Go. And they said, okay. When I first started there, we were using PNC exclusively, and they were charging us 2% above market rate for our FX, which for those of you in Treasury know that's uh, quite a bit of cash. From there, once we implemented Bloomberg Go, we got everybody on there. Our FX rates for our larger trades were between two and three basis points. For all of our trades, we got no more than seven as long as we were going through the Bloomberg Go platform. And this amounted to roughly $3.2 million in savings for the company, which was huge for us. I mean, it was just an easy way to, to put money back into the company without having to do a whole lot of work. It was still the same thing we were doing. Um, yes, we had to enhance our processes a little bit, but it still allowed us to show the value of treasury and that you know we're not just a cost center. We can help reduce costs. We can help improve efficiencies. And there's a lot more that we can do other than just you know writing forecast numbers for, for cash. And so you were with Teva, what, six years, time for the next move, progression. What happened next? So I was with, you're right, I was with Teva for about six years. And what actually happened there is we made an acquisition that was not great for the company. And they brought in new senior leadership and they decided to move the company to Parsippany, New Jersey. I was not necessarily offered my job. So I decided that it was time to look. So I ended up with a company called Sycom. Sycom was a small family run company that was actually just purchased by a private equity a few years prior. They did front, middle and back of house AI for restaurants and quick service food locations. I was there for a short period of time because LLR, the private equity company that owned them, got an offer that was four times what they paid for after two years. Um, obviously, I don't fault them for taking that. If you can make four times your money in two years, you obviously take that 100% of the time. Being in treasury, your job is usually one of the first to go. You attack. So I was let go. Pretty quickly from there, uh, I joined a company called Suez Water, which is based out of France, large water provider across the country. Um, I was only there a short time because I had an opportunity coming 
across my desk. So I joined the company LifeScan, which was a J&J diabetes division carve out as the, one of the managers of Global Treasury. There were three of us, gentlemen that by the name of Barry Sannon, who was the director of Treasury, and another colleague, uh, Vanna Jones, who was a manager of Treasury. The company was essentially one and a half to $2 billion a year in revenue startup um, because it was carved out from J&J. So we all worked together to stand up this company from the ground up. There were some consultants in place earlier that had stood up some of the major countries like the US and Canada. And then Ivana and I worked together to stand up the European Union, putting all accounts in place, making sure that we had sweeps in place, doing intercompany loan documentation, working capital loans, setting up accounts, bank resolutions, the whole nine yards. Super interesting. Also an opportunity to really get involved globally for the first time. As much as I love the global aspect, there's so many rules and regulations that it can be a little bit cumbersome with respect to all, all the country's rules and regulations. The biggest that we learned were uh, Italy. In Italy, you need to have performance bonds, which we didn't realize right away. And there's a few other countries in, in Europe that offer that. So if you get a chance to work globally as a treasury practitioner, you know, it's always a great experience to have. Maybe it's not for you but it's definitely a great experience to have as you're talking to your colleagues, not just within your company, but in companies that are with uh, treasury practitioners that you network with. While I was there, I also was tasked with taking on insurance, which Mike, as you know, insurance doesn't always fall under the treasury umbrella. Luckily this time it did. I worked with our pointed risk management consultants by our private equity company to help reduce our insurance fees from our carriers, which we had a hardening market. That's a little tougher to do, but they when you're talking company the size of LifeScan and they have all of our book of business, um, it's a little bit easier to negotiate that. I don't recall what the savings were off the top of my head. Uh, I wish I had that number here, but. And so, as you said, that sort of step to global, which is fantastic. Talk us through that expanded your your knowledge and everything else. And you made that move. Then, then talk us through the next couple of moves because I want to get us up to date as well. Sure. So LifeScan, I was there roughly two years and decided to make a move. I went to a company called Novavax. For those of you that don't know, at early in the COVID pandemic, Novavax had a protein-based COVID vaccine that was coming out. Unfortunately, still not approved by the FDA. The company itself had grandiose visions. Uh, honestly, I think their product was the best of market. It's protein-based. It's the vaccines that we all got growing up as kids. It'd be great to have that on the market. Um, I believe it has emergency use, use authorization, but it's not out there. When I saw that for about nine months into the role, I decided to make a move. And for the last seven months, I've been with Sureleaf, the world's largest cannabis company. Uh, we have operations in the U.S. and Europe. We're in 21 states in the U.S. It was medical and adult use where adult use is allowed. And I've been here for these last seven months, literally standing at Treasury Department from the ground up. There wasn't nothing here prior to me. So we've implemented forecasting, SOX compliance, controls, positive pay, bank relationships, setting up account structures, the whole nine yards. And it's been fantastic. And it's a great group of people that I work with. What was your checklist? You know, I often said this in the past. I had one of my listeners back last year. One of the things he said is he'd gone back to some of our previous shows to sort of go through a bit of a checklist. You know, start off with cash management. Let's sort this out. Boom. Then the banks. Let's sort this out. What's been your checklist, if you like, of, you know, when you went in to set this all up? Because you've got, you know, a wealth of experience. My checklist first starts with making sure that all the signers on the accounts are updated. That is... Paramount for me, having worked in at Teva under Frank Kimmick, we looked at that every three months. So now I have a process in place where we're looking at that every month right now as we get things stood up. Controls and compliance. Yes. Yes. Obviously, when you're in treasury, you need to know where your cash is. 
Starting out with a one or two week cash flow forecast is, is where we started. We're now at five. Uh, we want to roll that out to a 13 week cash flow forecast. We have some internal problems with that. Not, not necessarily problems, they're challenges between information, who has it, is it accurate, which obviously in treasury, you know, the, the more accurate your information is with your AP, your AR, anything you can get along those lines, the, the better your forecast is going to be. We have some, some challenges with that right now that we're, we're sorting through. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll get to that 13 week cash flow forecast. It's all about partnering with the right individuals. So I'm partnering with FPNA, accounting, finance, tax, to make sure that we get the, the appropriate information, make sure it's all correct. And we can put together a, a great 13 week cash flow forecast with the numbers we have to provide that to senior management. And now let's just talk about the industry, if you would. Cure Relief and, and things, obviously there's been front page news a lot of the time. What's it like working within that industry and, you know, you know without going into confidential information. It's just more what has it been like for you? Because also I think you're a remote-based role, which will come into us. So I wanted to cover the first industry and then your position and remote, what that's like for you. So talk us through. Sure. So the industry is super exciting. There's a lot going on. Obviously in the US, we were hoping that it would either be rescheduled or they would pass safe banking. For those of you that don't know, in cannabis, we can't use traditional banking products. So we don't have a revolver or a line of credit. If we were to get a line of credit, they require 105% cash collateral, which obviously doesn't really do what we need it to do. We can't use credit cards. So all of our sales are cash or debit card based. It's exciting, but it's challenging at the same time because it's everything we're doing in treasury is literally cash based. The biggest piece of that is making sure we have good communication among our regional operators and corporate treasury, making sure that we get cash remitted as needed, working with tax, making sure we get tax payments done as timely as possible. We're a growing company. We've grown through acquisition. We're going through a lot of acquisition integrations, which for those of you that have done that can be a little bit challenging. Uh, luckily, I have a great group of people that I work with where we all work together really well. I tried to provide the best customer service to them as I can. So I'm beating up banks for them as I need to, to get the best service for them as I can. It's really interesting, but at the same time, it's a little stressful because we don't have that safety net that traditional treasury groups have to fall back on. So you've coped with that, which is fantastic and everything else, but I'm pivoted around that. For you, and I talked about this, we've got uh, one of our other podcasts, which where Craig, myself, and Katie talk about virtual, you know, working remotely. It's a virtual webinar that we did where we were talking about remote working, blended ways of working, which we'll be talking about at a couple of conferences this year. Now, for yourself, you're 100% remote with your role. How do you find that? What's that been like for you? So since COVID, I'm sure most treasury teams have been 100% remote. My remote started with LifeScan. Um, and then through Novavax, I was 100% remote. And now with CureLeaf, I'm 100% remote. With LifeScan, it was really easy being remote because I had worked with those individuals. We kind of had a cadence of who did what, how we operated, and we would have a daily or weekly call with everybody. At Novavax, that was a little bit more difficult because the company was trying to transition from a phase three to branded company. I'm not sure that the individuals there really understood treasury because there was no treasury in place before that. But here at, at CureLeaf, I have a treasury analyst, Julie Riggs, who works for me. She is fantastic. We talk two or three times a day. Um, I report into the chief accounting officer. We talk at least once a week. I have touch points with all of our regional operators at least once a week. And I have a touch point with our VP of accounting at least once a week. There's a lot of great communication. And I think if you're in a remote role, that absolutely has to be paramount because you're not in the office setting. You don't get to see these people every day or, you know, every couple of days, having those 30 minute, 10 minute, five minute stand up calls 
just to make sure that you're all on the same page is paramount to making sure that you have good communication and that things can flow smoothly. And with yourself, I know that, you know, moving more into the sort of general views of yourself as a treasury professional, you've talked about the fact that not getting noticed because you're running everything so smoothly is, is your, one of your claims to fame. One of the things that you're trying to aim to do. Do you want to talk us through that? Because I think it's quite an interesting one. Sometimes treasurers are one of the, you know, the spotlight on them, you know, particularly in crisis times, but then you're actually quite comfortable with, look, if treasury's working, you, we don't need to talk in a, in a good way. Talk us through yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the quotes that Frank Kimmick gave me was, you know, when you're in treasury, when nobody knows your name, you're doing a great job, which seems kind of counterintuitive, but really if, if there's no cash blowups and everything's running smoothly, you are doing a great job. Yeah, it'd be great to have your name noticed, but or by the entire company, and that'll happen as you as you progress in treasury. You know, you make your inroads with accounting and FP&A and tax and finance, collections. If you're in pharmaceuticals with customer rebates, everybody will get to know you. But really, the, the big thing for treasury is the less you're noticed, the better job you're doing. At least in my opinion, that's how how it works for me. Sounds great. It's an interesting one. It's actually not dissimilar. You know, they said the Cheers Bar, where everybody knows your name. And I've actually, I use a slightly similar phrase. People have said to me, you know, why aren't you in this conference in the UK? Why aren't you in this conference? I mean, I don't want to be in a room where everybody knows me. Really? And I said, no, I need to be out there sort of networking and building the network with lots of treasury professors. One of the reasons we do the treasury podcast is to get out there and make sure that we are getting noticed by new different people. So it's a different pivot to that. But as you say, so your ethos around treasury itself, though, is... But you, you want Treasury to be noticed, surely, by the by the company itself. How, how do you then manage your Treasury for Cure Relief? And you know what, how are you then liaising further up with, with people? Sure. So obviously, like I mentioned, we don't want to be noticed for cash blowups. Yeah. But the way we do get noticed is by providing efficiency and cost savings to the company, whether it's working with our regional operators and implementing various ways to do things better, putting in better compliance controls, working to prevent fraud. As we know here in 23, fraud has become ever more present in Treasury. And we've dealt with some issues with white cross checks. So tackling that head on. Really, it's it's making sure that we're safeguarding the company's assets as best as we can. And that, in my opinion, is the better way to get noticed than making sure that everybody knows, hey, our cash forecast has been 90% accurate or 95% accurate. That's great if your cash forecast is that accurate. But if you can safeguard the company's assets, and get noticed for that. I think that's a better way to get noticed by not just senior management, by other people throughout the company, knowing that you're putting everything else in front of, in front of yourself to make sure that you're putting the company first. Yeah. And where do you see Treasury? You talked there a little bit about you know, a lot of people are talking about fraud, you know, being a big issue for Treasury and, you know, lots of things as we come out for COVID and everything else. What are the other areas you think that Treasury folks need to be thinking about? You know, if you were going to a conference or something like that, what are the sessions you're going to be attending? Obviously, Treasury works really closely with FP&A and tax and accounting. The biggest ones for me going forward are really going to be around IT and cybersecurity. As we've seen, not just here, but around the world, we've we've seen a lot, a lot of fraud. And really, how is Treasury going to integrate with IT and cybersecurity to help prevent this, whether it's, you know, shoot multi-factor identification or if there's other things that ha- have to happen. And then integrating your banking portals with your ERP and making sure that everything is firewalled there as needs to be. I think those are going to be the biggest things that happen here over the next few years with Treasury. And when you say that, you say, obviously, because you focus on an Excel solution and stuff like that with you guys, how are you then implementing that yourself without me being unfair about it, but how do you make sure that works for you guys? Sure. So obviously I've been here seven months and we've 
put in a forecast using Excel, we are looking at external solutions for this. Unfortunately, they're not as quick as just turning on a light switch and having a solution ready up. There's a business case that has to be decided on going through pricing proposals and all that. We are looking at that. Really, it's partnering with IT to make sure that we have as much security in place for Treasury as we can. Uh, and where we see deficiencies, we're raising that red flag too. Before we get to the wrap up of the show, you know, we're not that far off it, but any areas we haven't covered, Michael, that you think are important, you know, maybe about people, about treasury in general, you know, what do you think? One thing is, you know, a lot of things in treasury, I think are very teachable. One thing that I like to see when people come into the space is that they have a good customer service mentality. We are customer service facing internally. And if you can provide great customer service, I think you can pick up the cash forecasting or the various aspects of treasury. That customer service thing for me is huge when I'm looking at, at individuals to bring in or when I'm interviewing someone for another role. Having that that mentality where you're providing service first, paramount in treasury because of all the people that that you face with. In treasury, you know, we're we're partnering with accounting, tax, finance, FPA, operations. And through my role here at director, you know, I get exposure to C suite a little bit and making sure that I'm attentive to their needs, what they need, asking the right questions, or just asking questions in general to make sure that I'm providing them exactly what they need. So there's not seven, eight, nine iterations. And then hopefully they don't get annoyed with me because I'm asking these questions and they get, you know, seven, eight, nine iterations of whatever we're working on. You get the answers. And as you say, that very client-centric, even though you're internal, but a very customer client-centric internal view, which I think people can gain from today, which is fantastic. Now, I'm going to put your LinkedIn details in the show notes and, you know, Michael's been a regular podcast listener. So, you know how this bit goes. This is, you know, some of the top tips, you know, maybe if you're starting in your career earlier on or what are the takeaways you're going to give to your peers and some of the more junior guys? What's the takeaways in today's show you'd like to give? I haven't mentioned this earlier, but I think the biggest takeaway is, at least for me, is in the roles I've been in, when I start to get comfortable, I do get comfortable. I need to look for that next challenge to expand my knowledge base, expand my toolbox, if you will. The biggest thing, biggest advice I could give anybody is if you start to feel comfortable and you want to still make that next move, ask your boss what the worst things they work on and try and take those on. Maybe they will let you, maybe they won't, but at least shows initiative that, hey, you want to take that next step. It, it's really imperative, if, especially as you advance your career, to try and increase your toolbox. And treasury, you know, you may not always have a path straight up. You may have to make some lateral moves. So finding opportunities where you can get exposure to different things, whether it's different industry, different aspects of treasury, whether it's documentation, FX, cash forecasting, hedging, treasury strategy, account analysis, and relationships, whatever you can get experience in will only help you as you go forward. Fantastic. I I often say that with people with their resumes and things that, you know, people say, oh, how do I should I structure this? How should I do this? I mean, look at the pain points. You're applying for this role. Look at what the pain points are going to be for that company now, they need someone in treasury. If you can help them, go and help them, you know, but you need to you know, think through they're, they're growing at this rate. They're growing internationally. FX is going to be an issue or they're growing, you know, they've got a, you know, junior team. They're going to need mentoring and coaching. Look at their pain points. And you're talking about it in a practical sense, going to your boss and saying, right, what are your, what are your problems? Let me be your paracetamol. Let me help you. No, Absolutely. No. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, that's something I actually learned at one of the AFP seminars I went to, and it's helped me immensely in my career. Fantastic. Well, on those amazing final words, we'll leave it there. We'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes. People can connect to you and expand their network. They'd be lucky to have you in there and look forward to seeing you at a conference sometime soon as well, Mike. 
Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Hello, it's Mike here again. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you did, then maybe you want to follow the show or subscribe, depending on where you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, or another great place to listen to the show from. It's totally free and means that you'll be the first to see each and every week when we release a new show. And maybe whilst you're there, you could even leave a quick review. Reviews and ratings are among the most important metrics for a podcast to effectively rank. And as you can probably appreciate, the podcast is a lot of hard work to produce every week. It'd be amazing. Just take, say, 20 seconds, leave a quick review of my amazing guests and their great career stories. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks very much, and I can't wait to see you soon.